Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, the eighth and final beatitude reads, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So reads the words of the living God. Father, this is a word for us today. We need to square up to this, as one man put it, acid test of Christianity. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I pray that you would remove every obstacle in our thinking and in our feeling and around us, in us, that keeps us from hearing your voice. Open our eyes, Lord. Show us truth that we might walk out a life of truth for your glory. I realize that I am totally insufficient for what you would share for us from this text today. So Lord, I cast right now in a fresh way, as I have in my study all week, my dependence on you, and I ask, Lord, that you would empower everyone to cast their dependence on you so that we might receive the word of God ingrafted and be changed and, where necessary, be saved thereby. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can grab a seat. So this is the final message in the series on the Beatitudes called Life in the Kingdom. And just to cut to the chase, because we've got a lot of ground to cover, we will not recite them. Again, it's verse 10, Matthew chapter 5, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And as I just prayed, I read somewhere along the way that this has been called the acid test of Christianity. And that's because of Jesus' words in Matthew 15 and verse 20, when he said, the servant is not greater than the master. If they persecuted me, and they did, they will persecute you. If you've ever been in the study at my house, my office at home, you'll have seen uh, over one of the doorways going into that study a picture, a famous picture of a group of Christians in a huddle on their knees praying with one man standing up leading them in prayer as they are before jeering masses in a Roman arena. And if you look around the outside of that arena, you will see Christians who are impaled on stakes as burning torches. And then you see wild lions emerging out of this shaft to devour those Christians. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is what William Barclay had to say about early Christians in Rome. Quote, all the world knows of the Christians who were flung to the lions or burned at the stake, but these were kindly deaths. Nero wrapped Christians in pitch and set them alight and used them as living torches to light his gardens. 
He sowed them into the skins of wild animals and set his hunting dogs upon them to tear them to death. They were tortured on the rack. They were scraped with pincers. Molden lead was poured hissing upon them. Red hot brass plates were affixed to the tenderest parts of their bodies. Eyes were torn out. Parts of their bodies were cut off and roasted before their eyes. Their hands and feet were burned while cold water was poured over them to lengthen the agony. And then Barclay ends with this. These things indeed are not pleasant to think about, but these are the things a man had to be prepared for if he would take his stand with Christ. William Barclay. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Fast forward 1,500 years. You ever heard of John Bunyan? He wrote Pilgrim's Progress. One day he was preaching to a group of word-hungering believers and some non-believers who were exploring what it would mean to follow Christ. He preached to them in an open field, and because the 1662 in Britain Act of Uniformity forbid preaching unless you were a licensed Anglican preacher, he was cast into prison where he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. Do you know he spent a dozen years there, separated from his wife, separated from his nine children, one of his daughters of which was blind. He says that particularly tore his heart out. And merely by agreeing, by agreeing no longer to preach as an unlicensed minister, he could have been set free just like that. But for him, Acts 5.29 was still in his Bible. We must obey God rather than men. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Between 100 and 150,000 Christians are martyred every single year for their faith. It's hard to know which because it happens behind a lot of closed places, right? But one report said that in the year 2011, 105,000 Christians were killed because of their faith in Jesus Christ. That would be 288 of our brothers and sisters in Christ lay down their life every single day. Every hour, 12 brothers and sisters in Christ bear witness all the way to the shedding of their blood. Every five minutes, a Christian lays down his or her life for the gospel. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 5 and 10. Now, you might be listen, listening to all that and think, that is terrible, and it is, and we ought to pray more faithfully for them, and we ought to, but then you might be saying to yourself, at least thinking, well, I'm glad we're not persecuted here in 21st century America or the West. And you know, up until recently, I would have agreed with that. But according to the text of Scripture we're going to look at this morning, that's actually 
Not true. Did you notice that this is only one, only, the only one of the eight Beatitudes that actually has an addendum and then an addendum? There's verses 10, 11, and 12. And they're not talking about different Beatitudes because you'll find verse 10, the word persecuted. Verse 11, the word persecuted. Verse 12, the word persecuted. And my point certainly is not to equate lesser persecution, let me be clear, with greater persecution. Not doing that, clear? But my point is this, and I think this is the point Jesus is making, that if you cannot see persecution in low-grade forms, you will not be able to stand when it comes in high-grade forms. Because you've already been conditioned to compromise and not to stand with the truth. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. First of all, let's ask the question as we have the first phrase. First phrase what does it mean, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake? And as we've had, have done, we are going to, I'll quickly peel back the layer of what it doesn't mean, okay? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake is not blessed those who are persecuted, period, full stop. What did I leave out? For righteousness' sake. James Montgomery Boyce said it right when he said, quote, not, he, this is not talking about the hostility people, even Christian people, can experience because they've just made themselves a nuisance. Or they've insulted people. Or they've just been plain rude and crude. He's not talking about the kind of opposition that you might arouse because of your demeanor in that way at all. Let's be clear on that. There are a couple classes of people that would fall under that indictment. There's first of all heretics of hate. That's what they are, heretics of hate. Westboro Baptist Church, was it? Y'all know what I'm talking about? You know the slogans they chanted, the wicked things they said. And I would say that they have as much in common as Jim Jones and the whole Kool-Aid cult. This is not Christian. Let's be clear on that. We divorce ourselves from that quite readily. There's not only heretics of hate, though. There's jerks for Jesus. People who just have a martyr complex. For them, every issue is the main issue. And they pride themselves as being prophetic, and they have their verses. But they're not prophetic, they're pathetic. And they actually find a degree of righteousness in how people persecute them because they're jerks for Jesus. But because they're finding their righteousness in that, the Bible calls that self-righteousness, which is what we need to be saved from, because all of our righteousness is as filthy rags, Isaiah 64 and 16. So there's heretics of hate, there's jerks for Jesus. It's not talking about blessed are those who are persecuted, full stop, period. What he is talking about is blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake's sake. And again, because I got, I got a payload of application to drop at the end, we're going to hasten through this. Let me just cut to the chase here. To be persecuted for righteousness' sake is simply this, for following Jesus. 
I mean, really following Jesus, though, okay? Like trusting him and obeying him, all that he says by the power of the Spirit, confessing it when you don't, and to do so in a way that reflects the very character of Christ. There's something called the fruit of the Spirit. That's what it means for righteousness sake, for following Jesus. Paul puts it this way in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 17. He said, I bear on my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. What's he talking about? He's talking about the suffering and abuse he experienced for following Jesus in a legit way. Hmm. Now, this is where I go back to my introduction a little bit when I ask the question, are we persecuted here? And our first blush response would be, no, no, I don't think so. Verse 11 amplifies and it fills out the ways, verse 10, we can be persecuted for righteousness sake. So let, let's look at this, verse 11. Verse 11, he goes on and expands. He said, blessed are, other, are you when others do what? Revile you. You know what being reviled means? It simply means you're being insulted. You see, Thomas Watson, the old Puritan, he talked about persecution of the hand, physical stuff, and persecution of the mouth, verbal stuff. This falls under the category of persecution of the mouth, verbal stuff. Reviled. Literally in the Greek, is, it means to cast insults into someone's teeth. It's vitriolic, it's vehement, it sounds violent, it's verbal violence, it's insult. It could be even what a young Christian teenager experiences when they're seeking not to while out with the wicked, fallen, sexual ethos of this age and say, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm walking in purity. Oh, you're a goody two-shoes. Oh, you're holier than thou. You think you're better. It, it can even be that kind of thing. That's being reviled. Then he goes on to say, and persecute you. And every commentator I checked said now he's using that word persecute not in a general way as he did in verse 10, not in a drunk jork, drunk, drunk jor. <laughs> Sounds like I'm a drunk jor. Junk drawer kind of way, a catch-all kind of way, but now in a more nuanced, tactical, specific, focused kind of way, which is often used persecute not in that junk drawer kind of way, but in, a, in, in physical abuse, okay? In other words, being beaten, physically abused. It could, be in, it could be falsely arrested. It could be detained falsely. It could be imprisoned. It could be tortured. It could be beaten. It could even be executed for the faith. It could be the physical loss of, of, of losing your job, of having your possessions seized and confiscated and all that. That is persecution of the hand. Now, third thing. Blessed are other you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. How? Falsely on my account. This returns to Watson's persecution of the mouth, verbal. Here it is lies. Here it is slander. Now, I just summarize. 
It's insulting. That's a form of persecution according to Jesus. It's physical stuff all the way to death. And it's also slander, lying about somebody. And if I had time, again, because I got a payload to drop, I would walk you through how Jesus, Jesus himself experienced all of that. But I do want to remind us of how the early church experienced that, because you might not be familiar with that. The Romans started with the third form of persecution, lies or slander. They circulated rumors saying that the early Christians were cannibalistic, because after all, they talked about eating the flesh of Jesus and drinking his blood, although they knew they, all those churches weren't doing that, right? They were slandering them. They actually said that they were holding, say this carefully, orgies. Now, the culture did that, but they said they did, they did so with incest because they would have these meals called love feasts, agape feasts, where they would just spend time together and eat together, discipleship and all that. They went on to call them insurrectionists and revolutionaries in the worst kind of way because they said that the early Christians started the fi that big fire in Rome, which some accounts say they definitely didn't do that, but some said they even start the fire themselves to put that on them. So they trumped up all these slanderous charges on them, and then they would round them up and do the very things Barclay described to us by way of introduction. Fast forward about a century, now the Roman Empire has significantly expanded, and they had this policy that they developed to help keep more, because, I mean, there's hundreds of thousands, millions in the expansive Roman Empire. How do we keep them under control? And they came up with this, this policy, deify Caesar. Caesar isn't just an elevated man, he's actually a deity now. And you demand worship of him as deity. So once a year, every Christian, there, there's places you had to go to make this happen, had to offer some incense to Caesar and publicly proclaim Caesar is Lord. And when you did that, you actually got a validating certificate you would carry around the rest of the year called a labellus so that you were in good stead in the workplace and in the community so that you could be accepted and not ostracized. Now, the rub was this. They didn't forbid worshiping anything or anyone else. They said, you can do whatever you want. Just make sure you do the labellus. Just make sure you proclaim once a year publicly Caesar is Lord. Well, what did the early Christians do? They wouldn't do that. The faithful ones, because there is no Lord in that divine sense except the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, because they would not do that, here's what happened. They would be kicked out of trade unions so they would lose higher-end jobs, they would be marginalized, and in some regions they would be incarcerated, even beaten, even put to death. What do you think about that? I love Bellis. Hmm. Now, the question I did ask in the introduction is persecution happening here? Well, I want you to think about that for a second. According to verse 11, and not just verse 10. And the answer is, yes, of course it is. It is happening. Of course, it rarely happens as 
obvious as you can't worship Jesus. It didn't even happen that way then, right? They said you could worship whatever you wanted as long as you proclaimed Caesar is Lord. Instead of going after explicitly saying you can't worship Jesus, they would go after what it would mean to truly follow Jesus. You know, back to that trust and obedience thing. And that is how it always begins, and that is how it is playing out today. And I want to show that to you. Before I do, are there real things such as homophobes? Answer, yes, there are. In fact, it would probably be more appropriate to say haters, people who hate people who are caught up in homosexuality. Right? Not very loving. Are there such things as racists? People who look down on others because of their ethnicity. The biblical word actually would be partiality. Yes, that still exists. It has since the fall and will until, until the Lord returns. Is there such a thing as sexism? You know, thinking that men are superior or, or vice versa, that, that women are superior. Yes, all those things exist. And I actually had several examples to give you, but again, I got a payload to drop. I think you have plenty of examples, right? So, so we say up front readily there are homophobes, there are racists, and there are sexists. But the reality is this, family. People are often and increasingly falsely accused. The slander piece? Slanderously thrown the label, well, you are a homophobe. Or you are a racist. Or you are a sexist. And you know what the firing basis for these demonic salvos are? The launch points for such slanderous accusations, they're universities, not, not every university, but they are. They are media outlets, not all of them, but, but they are. They are human resource departments at your companies. Not all, but they are. And they often end these slanderous attacks in material consequences. So let's take up HR departments. What do I mean by HR departments? Human resources. I have had more than a few of you and others outside this, this local church share the kinds of things that are being imposed upon them. Unquestionably, there should not be a shred of discrimination, right? For any reason, whatever you do and whatever you worship, every person is a Mago Day demanding dignity and respect as an image bearer of the living God. So if somebody is a Satan worshiper, but they happen to be a great computer programmer, their Satan worshiping should not preclude them from getting hired or even being promoted. I don't think their Satan worshiping is going to end up too good. But you get the point. But what people are talking about is this. Increasingly, tolerance is not just a call for acceptance. 
It is now a call to celebrate and to hold as a bold virtue ungodly things as you're simultaneously pressured to renounce godly convictions. So let's go with sexual orientation and gender identity, LGBTQ. I have had people say that there is a massive pressure to celebrate that in the workplace. Hey, what size of the t-shirt you want for this particular pride day? Here's the wristband. You're going to wear it, right? Here's the seminar. You don't have to go, but you kind of should be there. And on and on and on. And I just want to let you know, by the way, the so-called Equality Act is the farthest thing from equality. Unless you think it's cool for a pastor to be in prison because he will not marry two men or two women. Unless you think it's cool for a Christian counselor to face fines for counseling from Scripture somebody struggling with gender, gender identity. Unless you think it's cool for one of our doctors or nurses or medical personnel to refuse to participate in an abortion, not believing the lie that that's merely health care. Hmm. Well, let's talk about race and equality. I've heard stories of HR departments bringing in people to train on diversity who say things about one ethnicity that if, they, that if that ethnicity said about the person speaking that, they would have their desks boxed up by lunchtime and be sent on the street fired. A friend told me that he's in a workplace that, that's happening, and his supervisor really trusts him. He works hard, he's got a great reputation, and he loves Jesus. And he said, I've noticed that in, our, in, 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 in kind of our um, anonymous polls that we take after we do some of these seminars and events, more and more people are saying, they're answering the question, do I feel free to share my thoughts? The answer is becoming almost unilaterally what? No. And he said, people have expressed the concern that they would be labeled or slandered as a certain thing if they gave some feedback. And he said to his supervisor, of course, yes, regardless of sexual orientation, people should not be discriminated against. But you're asking us to celebrate stuff that goes against our convictions. And if I, and people feel like if they would speak up, they would be called what? You would be called a homophobe. He also said, of course, racism or partiality is real. But when the approaches to racism are themselves reflections of another form of racism, he says, I can't co-sign that. And what's more, if I speak up, then the pat answer is, well, it's just because you're speaking from a place of privilege, you're a racist anyway, so shut up and listen to the experts. This is what people are saying. This is what people are, are, are experiencing. Now, it's, it's not surprising that the world slanders Christians for taking biblical viewpoints. We shouldn't be surprised by that, right? You're a homophobe just because you happen to take the Bible seriously. You're a sexist. Well, because you sort of happen to take the Bible seriously, you know? I mean, people are being accused even of being sexist 
probably not an HR department venues, but in life, like, you know, I, I do kind of believe that the male's the head of the house and that the office of elder is, 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 is reserved for men. I didn't write it. Well, that's being misogynistic. Well, there are misogynists for sure, but that's not. That's just called biblical patriarchy. But people say, oh, if you believe what the Bible says, you must be homophobic. If you believe what the Bible says, you must be sexist. And even, even, even with the racism part, you dare push back on some of the anti-racist stuff, which is, again, another form of the, the thing the Bible forbids, partiality, broad sweep statements across people groups, you're called racist. And I just want to say to you, you must be willing to bear the shame of false accusations if you will be faithful to God in his book. You, you, you have to be willing to. You have to be willing to be faithful and whether those accusations, now, if you have any of that in your heart, that needs to be brought to light and confessed, for sure, right? Now, what makes this all the more challenging is when Christians join that chorus against Christians who are trying to take a stand. Let, let me rephrase that as I have it in my notes. What is more challenging is when Christians... Did you notice the air quotes? Join that chorus against Christians who take a stand. And I have them in air quotes because I'm, I'm being kind of intentionally ambiguous here. There are genuine Christians who maybe are just a little bit naive and they want to be compassionate, right? They just want to be compassionate because Jesus is really big on compassion. Who then without a scriptural filter, adopt some things and embrace some things that causes them to say some things that are not biblical. Those kinds of people need to be taught. We're going to do some teaching on that. There are other people, progressive Christians, progressive Christian, progressive Christian. It's a category. It's basically old-line theological liberalism dressed up in some brand-new spanking uh, clothes, duds. Those people need to be marked out. Now, here's what they do. I mean, again, progressive Christians, sincere but naive Christians, they will sometimes coalesce together and they will stand back and they'll say, we're Christians, we're just not like those Christians, right? That's what they do. Those Christians who, you know, take the Bible seriously about this subject and this subject and this subject. And what does the onlooking world do? Bravo, 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 you're my kind of Christian. And they almost always use and abuse Jesus' words in the second great commandment as justification. You know those words? When Jesus said we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. And I would say if the most abused text of yesterday was judge not lest you be judged, the most abused text today is love your neighbor. Now, let me, let me explain that. There's something called Bible interpretation. Bible interpretation 101 says this, a text without its context 
is a proof text for any dumb thing you want to assert. You don't do that with newspapers. You don't pull a line out of the context and say, this is what it means. Right? And so love your neighbor is divorced from its threefold context so often, family. Number one, from the context of the Lord who spoke it into existence, Jesus Christ, the one who is full of grace and truth. Number two, the entire canon of Scripture in which this command is embedded, Genesis all the way down to Revelation. And most of all, perhaps, its immediate context the first great commandment says we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and strength and mind. Now get that right because every heir goes with missing the first commandment, no other gods before you. Now, consistent with that, love your neighbor as yourself. So when you hear love your neighbor to promote something that's not in line with context one, the Lord has spoken, the word is found in, and the great commandment, Scripture is once again being abused to manipulate people. And Paul warns us about this in 2 Corinthians. He says there are peddlers of God's word. So when you hear someone use love your neighbor to make a point, I would say to you, just don't roll over and say, well, okay, I guess that makes the case. Say, can we dive into Scripture? Maybe they're right. Maybe they are right. Or maybe not. I will say this, whatever the Lord commands or forbids, popular or not, in season or out of season, is for our good and for his glory. And the Lord our God changes not. So that's the first point. What does it mean to be persecuted for righteousness sake, for really following Jesus? And you might get flack from the world, but you're also going to get flack from people who in some way, shape, or form claim the name. Now, I'm not even going to get to the payload. This is going to be a two-part message, okay? Because I got nine applications, but I, I got to hit this. Let me just close the circuit on the text, and the next week I want to come with the ninefold application, all right? And give me the luxury of doing that because after all, this verse has two, this beatitude has two extra verses, all right? So in case you're saying, wow, he took that long on point one, we are never getting out of here, and I'm hungry, okay? <laughs> Me too, especially with spring forward. What does it mean, theirs is the kingdom of heaven? This is beautiful. This is beautiful. Look at latter part of verse 10, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Where else do you see that same expression, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven? Verse 1. It's really cool. It goes full loop, Right? So you're trying to be faithful to God with all your own warts and blemishes, right? Yeah, yeah. And you get to this point, man, I can't do this. That takes you back to blessed are the poor in spirit. And again, you're thrust from self-reliance to God dependence. God, I need you to be able to do this. And as you're seeking to be faithful, guess what's going to come up in your own stinking heart? Sin. You can even respond to right things in wrong ways. It's very easy for all of us to do, right? So then you go back to blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. And as you say, God, I really want to be faithful to you in this time. I need your strength. Then you say, blessed are the meek. I need my power under your control. And as you do that, you're like, Jesus, I just need more of you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And you go on and on and on. This is a, this is a, this is a continual replay circuit. 
Now, the blessing in context here is that persecution for righteousness' sake is evidence that you really are a kingdom citizen. That all the persecution you may or may not receive, from the high-grade stuff to the low-grade stuff, is a stamp of authenticity that you really belong to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that you are a deeply loved son or daughter of the living God. It proves that. Jesus suffered, reviled, slandered, physical abuse all the way to the cross so that we could get into his kingdom, and those who are in his kingdom as they follow in his pathway will be reviled, slandered, and sometimes even physical abuse unto death. Verse 12, latter part, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You see that? You put yourself in a long, austere line of believers when you are persecuted. Hebrews 12, 1, seeing we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, you put yourself in that cloud. And that matters to God. And he gives you grace. And he highly esteems that. And not only does this give you evidence that you are a Christian, it sometimes gives you inside your heart by the Holy Spirit a deeper sense that I really do belong to God. With all of my struggles, I really do belong to him. That's what it says in 1 Peter 4, 14, that when you are insulted for Christ, the spirit of glory and the spirit of God rest on you. That inward validation by the Holy Spirit. This is what Bunyan said. He said, I had never in my life had scriptures open up to me like when I was in prison. Scriptures that up to this point hadn't meant much to me now meant everything to me. Christ was never so real. I never knew what it was like to have God stand right beside me. And whether you are reviled because you are not going to adopt the fallen sexual ethics of this age or whether in the workplace you're not going to bow down to the golden calf when that happens, you will have a sense of God's presence. And there's something even more, and we close with this. For the Christian who is willing to be faithful, there is reward. Look at what he says. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great. You, you get reward. Sometimes people who rightly understand we're saved by grace alone, so they don't like the idea of a reward. But the God who saves us by grace alone tells us by grace there's also rewards. In other words, it's not just the blessing he's talking about, there's additional blessing of reward, and that reward is not some old dusty plaque from Kiwanis Club from 1992 that's in a box collecting cobweb dust in your garage rafters. No, man, this is going to sparkle in heaven forever because it's an eternal reward. You're going to cast them at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what he's talking about is not only the assurance that you are no pretend, wannabe, fronting, paper mache Christian, but you, my friend, are the real deal. And you are going to receive rewards that will glorify Jesus for the endless ages to come. John Chrysostom, golden mouth, bold preacher, fourth century. The emperor tried to shut him down. And he told him that if he didn't stop preaching, he was going to banish him. And he said, sir, you can't banish me for the whole world is my father's house. 
Well, if I don't banish you, then I'll slay you. He said, sir, you can't slay me, for I've already died, and my life is hidden with Christ in God. He said, well, if I can't banish you, I can't slay you, I will confiscate all your possessions. He says, you can't do that either, for my treasure is in heaven. He said, well, then I will remove you from every friend. And he said, that you cannot do either, for I have a friend who said, I will never leave or forsake you. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And next week, I'm going to lay out nine ways we ought to stand as the people of God. Father, thank you for this time in the Word. Thank you that we have died and our life is hidden with Christ in God. And I pray, Lord, that we would not fear accusation, even though nobody wants to be called certain things. May we check our hearts, but we, may we most of all check our hearts by the Word of God, through the Spirit of God. And Lord, this is such a beautiful truth that when it happens, the applause of men fades, and the future, well done, good and faithful servant, gets bigger and bigger in our thinking and feeling, activating a life that says, I want to follow you, Jesus, lock, stock, and barrel. And I ask this in Jesus' name, grace to do that. Amen. If you have never trusted Jesus Christ, I would encourage you to turn now, confessing your sin to him, believing he took your sin on the cross. Jesus Christ makes dead things alive. And you know that's happening when you see your sin and you want to run into his waiting, nail-scarred, resurrected hands. That's you. Today is the day of salvation. Call upon the Lord. And for the rest of us, there's more to come from this message. But I would ask you to square up with everything I shared, everything God shared through his word. And as we sing, connect the truths that we're singing about with the Lord who said, blessed those are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And may the Lord, by his Spirit, move mightily in our hearts so that we shine, in the words of Peter, as bright lights in a dark world. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>